MDN TV, the podcast. Be impressed with now. Never miss a thing with MDN TV, the podcast. We love to keep you in the present with diverse goodies from secular and non-secular subjects of global interest. Join us. Grab more from these series. Listen to our podcast. The undeniable choice. It's sundown. The day has just begun. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning, everybody. <laughs> this is MDN Shows Running with the Times, only on MDN TV, the podcast. And I am Major Daughter. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all our listeners and viewers around the world. Meet us in the comments. We are live there. Ask questions, engage, share this podcast, share this broadcast, tell me what is happening now. Let me tell you what. Today we're talking about breaking the cycle of addiction, breaking the chains of addiction. How and how you can go about it, where you can go for help, especially if this is a family thing or if it has become a family thing, and I want to call on you to call on those who will really learn something from today's show and receive something from today's show because my guest was exposed to meth at a very young age because both her parents struggled with meth addiction, which resulted in a very dysfunctional home. And if you're one of those people, who are going through something like this in whatever type of addiction. Katie Lale is my guest. She was arrested at the age of 19. I mean, her story is something else, but there's the light inside the tunnel, not just at the end of the tunnel. There's a light inside the tunnel. She turned everything around. I want to give you the opportunity to really be the one taking us through this. You could be a parent right now listening, or you could know some parents who may need to hear this, especially if it's in the family. Hmm. There's so much stigma around addiction. doesn't matter what type. There are many types of addiction. Whatever addiction it is, there's so much stigma. Can we get rid of the stigma and deal with the challenges? Because there is help right there. There is help. And today, my guest is going to take us through every single step right after this. MDN TV, the podcast. Be abreast with now. Never miss a thing with MDN TV, the podcast. We love to keep you in the present with diverse goodies from secular and non-secular subjects of global interest. Join us. Grab more from these series. Listen to our podcast, The Undeniable the Choice. The Undeniable Choice, indeed, for today is Kathy Lale. Arrested at 19 years of age. Exposed to math addiction at a very tender age. Having parents who struggled with the same math and a dysfunctional home. How do you put 
that together in a sentence. Kathy, mm. thanks to Gazillion Times for saying yes, for availing your time and for the contribution you are making to humankind. Tell us who you are and why were you arrested at the age of 19? How did, how did that even happen? Mm. Kathy? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was definitely a pleasure to say yes, and I'm so grateful to be here. Um, you know, so let me, I'll tell you a little bit about me and then also a little bit about what I'm doing now. Um, so a little bit about me, as you said, I, I was exposed to meth at a very young age. Um, the first time that I ever did meth, I was actually 15 years old. It was with my mother. Um and so that was kind of where my my personal journey with addiction began. Um, so it was it was a really like normal transition for me. Um, I didn't have a lot of resistance or anybody like saying, no, don't go down this road. And so it kind of progressed, um, you know, up until I was 19. And that was the first time that I was arrested as an adult. Um, and that was also the first time that I realized this isn't the lifestyle that I want to be living. I feel like there is more out there and this isn't, this isn't my full potential. Um, but at that point I had no frame of reference of what it meant to, to not, um, struggle with addiction or to live a life, um, free from addiction. So I, um, actually struggled back and forth with that for a lot of years. I would have long periods of time where I didn't use, um, but I would always kind of end up going back because I, I, it was just a learning process for me. It was just needing to walk the journey and make the changes that needed to be made. Um, but the final straw for me to make that change is I was arrested again um, about 10 years after my first arrest when I was 29. Wow. But this time I went to prison and I spent three years in prison. And so that was kind of that point where I was like, okay, what are the things that I have been unwilling to do to change, to work on, to look at that I need to, I need to do. And the biggest one was I needed to reach out for help and to allow people to be there for me. So going through that journey, um, it was a lot of heartache, a lot of healing, a lot of growth, a lot of um, just over overcoming um, and so after I walked through that journey, I dedicated myself to helping others. So now I work as a peer addiction coach and I support people who struggle with their addictions. And I also support people who have um, loved ones who are struggling with addiction, because we know, as you said earlier, it's sometimes, you know, almost as much of an effect on the family as it is on the person actually using the substance. Yes. Yeah. Your story is um, is something else, but um, the great thing is that you recovered. Mm. You have a great story to tell today because you're also helping others to do the same. Let's first start for the benefit of those who may not know what math is. Could you describe and explain that? Mm. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, there's so many yeah, rounds that can go. Someone may be thinking, <laughs> someone may be thinking, what is math at the addiction? We know drugs, we know alcohol, we know, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, 
So meth is um, a very addictive stimulant um, that people use and it has, um, it's not like a, a couple hour high. It usually can last for a day or two. Um, oftentimes when people are using, they don't necessarily sleep and eat like they would normally. So people get skinny, they get, um, you know, or tend to get skinny, they can um and malnourished and it's just really hard on the body but also um it's really hard on the brain just because when you first use it you are releasing all those like feel good chemicals in your brain and yeah. you're kind of like chasing that but then after a while it almost becomes that you're dependent on it because you you've had such a depletion of those feel good chemicals so even to like feel remotely okay you are needing to chase that substance. So it's hard to get off of because um, it takes some time to actually allow your brain to heal, to be in a good place after, you know, putting it through that, that abuse for, for so long. Could you please describe your addiction journey and what really pushed you or led you to recovery? Hmm. So I think that if I had to describe my addiction journey, I would say like, at, like underneath all of it, it was loneliness, looking for that connection, looking yeah. for that place to belong, that place to fit in. And then after a while, it became just about numbing. You know, I didn't want to feel the pain. I didn't want to feel the hurt. I didn't want to feel the abandonment just of everything that was going on in life. And so, um, my addiction started, you know, I started off by snorting it, but very quickly it went to shooting up and all throughout my addiction. I just think that the major piece of it um, was that shame. So, you know, you start off with this place of where you're doing this to connect because you're lonely. And then you compound that with the shame that you end up feeling. And it makes it a really difficult hole to crawl out of because, um, you know, after you experience so much shame, it's scary to reach out for help. And you had talked in your introduction about that stigma around addiction. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure. So I'm in the US. And so here, it's been very criminalized. So you know, to reach out to help for help can often end up resulting in legal troubles, um, employment troubles, just judgment, um, lots of restrictions. So it's something that you just really keep to yourself and you don't reach out to help. So it kind of just pushes you further away from, you know, all the rest of society or all the people that are willing to help you or capable of helping yeah. you. And so you build this support group of people that are, are unhealthy um, and struggling with that same thing that you are. So it was, it started off to cover up my loneliness. It led to even more loneliness, more um, isolation. And so when I think about my recovery journey, it was really breaking this cycle of loneliness, breaking the cycle of unworthiness, being able to reach out and make connections and ask for help and trusting that people were going to have my best interests at heart, which amazingly, once I, once I got to the point where I was like, I can't live like this anymore. The pain of continuing to stay the same has become worse than the pain of making the changes that I need to make. Um, I had so much support 
rally behind me when I opened myself up to that. And that was, that was the thing that really solidified my change is the fact that I wasn't alone. And there was just as much positive support out there as there was negative. And I just needed to open myself up to that support. Yes. And um, here you are today, but do you feel it took you long? Did you take the long road to get to where you are or you took the short road to get to, uh, to where you are right now? And why would you say that? The road I, to, uh, recovery. Yeah, I, I think for me, I definitely took the long road. <laughs> it takes me a while to catch on to things sometimes. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm stubborn. Like I, I didn't want to ask for help. I wanted to do it myself. I didn't want to feel weak. So I think that I spent, um, oh. you know, of my, of my nearly 20 years of addiction. I think I spent about 10 of that, um, trying to overcome my addiction. And so, um, for me, it was, you know, I would go to treatment and then I would try to educate myself, but I didn't want to do that work on myself. I didn't want to really look at the things that hurt, the things that needed to be addressed underneath all of that. Um, And for me, it took getting to that really bad place, that place where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to prison. Like, what am I doing? I need to change my life. And that was the point when I was like, Okay, so I actually need to do these things that I there, there's a piece of me that knows that I've been avoiding. And so that was when I really started doing that hard work. And I would say once I started doing that hard work, then it was a short journey, I started feeling better. So quick, so quick, because I was just really, like not running from those things that were so scary to me before. Hmm. What is um or what was the most challenging aspect of your recovery? Because I guess it all boils down to what you need to overcome to mm. recover. You went to prison, stayed three years there, arrested twice, but you still relapsed. What was the most challenging aspect of that journey of your recovery? Yeah, I think um, I think some of the most challenging pieces of that was, you know, I'd kind of talked at the beginning about you had talked about like going through that as a as a child, like being exposed to those yeah. things at such a young age, and how that can lead to so much dysfunction in the household. And I really needed to, I really needed to like go back and look at how, like how those things were still affecting me and like just the pain that was associated with like looking back and and not having the childhood that I would have wished for someone else and so allowing myself to heal from that um and then not only like addressing that pain but also looking at like so I went through this and because I went through this, these are the patterns that I'm seeing in my life. Like I, I don't have healthy relationship patterns. I don't have um, healthy boundaries. I don't necessarily always make good choices. So these are some areas where I need some support. And so looking at the aftermath and also being willing to address some of those things that, you know, okay, 
I actually do need to put some work into this. So it was really just kind of a two-part process. Um, but I would say just like facing that pain head on was the most challenging part of the whole deal. Hmm. What do you think are some of the main mistakes families who are fighting to break the chains of addiction and uh, breaking that cycle of addiction are making? And what Mm. can they do about that? Because when you look at uh, families and parents, especially, you had parents who were themselves struggling with addiction. Mm-hmm. How does one deal with that? Can yeah. So that's a really great question. And so, you know, just to kind of sum up that question again. So, you know, what are families doing um, that are preventing them from breaking that chain, from breaking that addiction cycle? Um, yeah. So, you know, I think, I think one of the biggest things that like we work on here as an organization is we, we address that stigma. um, But we also look at like, how can, how can we positively communicate? How can we communicate in a way that's not producing more shame for the individual? How can we communicate in a way that's not actually pushing that individual away? And how can we, um, you know, offer support and continue love without, um, you know, enabling them to continue their addiction and avoid some of those natural consequences. Um, but also in a way that's not, you know, providing just ultimatums because eventually those times are those a lot of times will push that person away. So really just shifting it to a more positive and supportive environment. Because when you think about, you know, kind of the view around addiction now is that it's considered a disease, a chronic and manageable disease, you know, but when we look at somebody who has diabetes, we wouldn't treat them the same way that we treat somebody who struggles with an addiction. So, you know, helping to find that more supportive, um, and caring, kind, loving way to, to um, manage somebody struggling with addiction and throughout that family. Wow. Um, There's so much to take away from what you've already shared already. We have people who say it's not possible to recover from meth. What would you say about that? How long have you been free now? Delivered. I mean, <laughs> you are. <laughs> yes. You are now married with a son. I mean, tell us mm-hmm. about that. Uh, you have yeah. been totally free, I believe. So is it possible? Is it not possible? Is this a myth? Or mm. what is it really? Kevin? Well, it's such an interesting thing because it is like, <laughs> you know, everybody sees like when people are struggling with an addiction, like everybody sees that piece of it because you know, that's when the behaviors are coming out and that's when you're worried about them. But when they, when people get better and they're not, you know, going to jail or they're not causing problems in the family and people aren't worried about them, you don't, that's not as visible to us, you know, so it doesn't stand out as much, but I have been um, substance free for seven years now. Um, And I, 
have, you know, just dedicated my life to healing and changing. And like you said, I'm married. I have a a little guy who just turned two yesterday and I'm just getting ready to have my second one. And my life is so blessed. Um, And, you know, that doesn't mean that my life is perfect, um, but my life is manageable. And I know that whatever comes my way, like I can, I can walk through that and I don't need to run away um, and escape with substances. Like I've learned coping skills. I've learned how to be healthy and work through my problems. And, you know, not even just me, it's interesting for me because, um, you know, I, I was in prison with a lot of people that I've stayed in contact with. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. of people that I used substances with. And I actually um, was just thinking about it the other day and talking with a friend of mine who I was in prison with. And we were talking about how, how well so many of the people are doing and how they've just really turned their lives around and turned into these amazing and beautiful people that are really making a difference in the world. It's just, you don't see them as addicts anymore. So you don't know, you know, you don't see that they've gotten better. So if you will have to give an advice right now to an addict or someone struggling with addiction, what will that advice be, Kathy? So for me personally, it would be to reach out for help, to find somewhere who is not where they're not going to judge you and to just trust that there are people there that care and won't judge and will support you through your journey because it is such an isolating thing to be struggling with an addiction. And so just have that positive support. It can turn everything around for a person. Hmm. Well done to you because you have really overcome this obstacle and you've broken the chains of uh, addiction. Hmm. You are now a peer coach. Tell us about some of your aha moments as a peer coach. What do you love most about your work? So the first thing when I think about, you know, being a peer coach, I, (laughs) I just like, it's, it's been the perfect fit for me. Like it has just been my, my employment home and just also like my passion home. So it's just a really great coming together But um, the organization that I work for is called Face It Together. And so they're local to where I'm at in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But we do take members all all across the United States, all across the world. Um, We we have telehealth, so we are open to meeting with people anywhere. But um, I just always think about when I was doing my interview. And um, I'd been looking for a job and looking for a job. And I wanted to help people. Um, I knew that was the direction that I wanted to go in. I had my bachelor's degree in human services and I had some experience, but it was all prior to me going to prison. And so now I was just having a lot of doors shut on my face um, when people found out that I'd been to prison. And um, and I, I was kind of just like, almost like maybe I'll just give up for a while. Yeah. And I ran across the the ad for Face It Together. And I was like, this peer coaching thing, this sounds great. And so I reached out and I was like, I don't know if they'll hire me. It sounds almost too good to be true. And I had my interview and I, at this point, I'm like, I'm just going to be very honest with them upfront. Like, I don't want to get my hopes up and then have them, you know, ask the question later. So 
I told them about prison and I told them about my past. And I remember them saying like, you have such amazing experience. You're going to be able to help so many people. And so if I had to put peer coaching in a nutshell, that's what I would say is we don't, we don't believe in shame. We believe that, you know, the more that you went through, the more amazing experience that you have to overcome and be able to help other people. So all of our coaches have had their own personal journey. We always think it's best to try to match each coach with, um, or each person coming into us with the coach that has the most similar experience, because it's nice to have somebody that's been there and you can see that they are okay. And also, you know, when you're talking about some of those things that go along with addiction, you know, some of those things that cause a lot of people shame to have somebody say, Oh yeah, I've been there. I remember what that was like. And, and just um, really like, that's the thing that's most important about coaching for me. And would you say this, the, the peer coaching that you currently offer in that organization, is it also available virtually? I mean, we now live in a digital world, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yes. So, we, yes, we have two physical locations. We And in the U.S., we have one in South Dakota and one in Colorado. Um, but we see people from 48 states, um, and we've seen people from the UK, from Canada, um, wow. Portugal. And so we have the capability to see people wherever. Um, it's been a huge blessing for us to be able to support people all across the world because we know that, especially in some more rural areas, people don't have the option of peer coaching. Um, and so you know, to be able to touch the lives of those people, or at least have that be an option. That's really important for us. And do you charge for this? So I know you work for a nonprofit organization, but do you, do people have to pay for this? So we have um, a few different ways that we do it. So we do a lot of fundraising and we have a lot of grants. So a lot of times we can get people covered under a grant um we do have a pay scale um and so if we don't get people covered under a grant we do put them on a sliding um scale fee however we don't ever want you know um finances to be a barrier to somebody getting help so um you know with that in mind if there was somebody who really needed coaching and they could not afford our services we would definitely not turn them away we would we would cover that cost Okay, great. Um, We've come to the tail end of the show, but there's one more thing I would love to you um, really for you to answer. What will be your advice for or to someone who is concerned about a friend or a family member using drugs or at this stage? they are already addicted to something. It doesn't really have to be drugs. So they are struggling with alcohol. It could be alcohol. Where do they start? Mm. What advice will you give them? I mean, what, what is the point of departure? Is it a rehab with a doctor? Like if you could give uh, just a brief um, detail. Mm-hmm. So... 
my advice is twofold <laughs> because yeah. um, I think that being a loved one and having a loved one struggling with addic addiction can also be very isolating and you can feel like you have to carry this around alone. So again, I say reach out for support, for help, for advice. Um, we're also here to support those loved ones as well. Um, and even if it was just like, even if they didn't want to do coaching, just getting on the phone with somebody and saying, what are my options? What can I do? That's something that we can help with. We can help you find those resources in your community. Um, but also, I would say, support the person struggling with an addiction. Let them know that you're there. Let them know that you are willing to walk through this journey with them. And also, let them have some um some some ownership in that decision making because we don't want people to feel backed into a corner or forced into anything we want them to know that they have options and so helping them know that there are options out there and letting them decide yeah. which route that they would like to go so not taking that power away from them in regards to you know their their road to recovery do rehabs really work would you advise someone to go to a rehab? I mean, you never said anything about a rehab. So we don't really know what kind of methodology you followed for you to fully recover and be totally free as you are. And well done. And congratulations to you for that. But Thanks. do rehabs, I mean, and we are at the end of uh, the program, but it will be an error to let you go without asking that really <laughs> Kathy if you don't mind please <laughs> so just to touch on that briefly I <laughs> I think that there are so many pathways to recovery and so many yeah. pathways to wellness and rehab works really well for some people coaching works really well for some people um AANA 12-step meetings works really well for some people, um, I think it's about really finding the path that is right for you and being willing to say, okay, maybe that one wasn't right for me. Let's try what's next. So I don't like saying, because rehab does work for some people and it doesn't work for some people. So it is definitely um, an option out there and something willing to try. But, you know, sometimes coaching works, sometimes other forms of support works. So definitely. How can our listeners find out more about you, Kathy? So to find out more about me and the organization that I work for, our, our website is wefaceittogether.org. Um, and so our website is very informative. It has a lot of other um, links to other resources, but it's also a really great way to get in touch with us. Um, there's a get connected um, button, which has all of our contact information. Um, we have bios on all of our coaches on there. We have information about loved ones and people struggling with addiction. Um, and it's also a great way to get in touch with us if you are looking to receive services or even just some advice about what steps to take next um you know we definitely are willing to help with whatever we can wow thank you so much katie for your time what will be your parting shot as we wrap up the program 
Um, I would say <laughs> just, um, <laughs> that's a tough Didn't one because there's so much ground to cover, but I would just say yeah. that there is, there are support, there is support out there. There are people to, that care. Um, it is truly something that, um, fills my cup to be able to, to help other people. So, um, you know, if you feel alone, you're not, we're here for you. If you feel alone, you're not. We're here for you. Kathy Lale, thanks a gazillion times for your time and for all the contribution you have made today. Look, reach out. That's the word. Reach out for support. Reach out for help. There are so many pathways to recovery. There are so many pathways to wellness. Find out what works for you and take that path. And if you want to find out more, learn more, or receive help from Kathy Lale and the organization that she works for, check out www.wefaceittogether.org. Can I take that again? www.wefaceittogether.org. O-R-G, to all our listeners and viewers around the world. Well done. MDN Talk Radio. The mic swings to you at MDN Talk Radio. The conversation is upbeat with life-enhancing chat, moderated by personalities that matter. Exclusive conversation to keep our radio community interactive is with you now. Log on from the comfort of your couch or take us along in your palm as you go. Hear us. The undeniable choice.